You can learn a lot about people when what happens when you succeed. And if you look around and somebody's envious of your success or the critical of your success, man, one, strike them out of here. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Jessica, head of coaching strategy at Crisp, and today we're flipping the script for another special edition episode to get Michael's take on the key difference between being busy and being productive, how to elevate your inner circle by surrounding yourself with champions, not critics, and why patience and discipline are learnable skills. If you were doing the same things that everybody else was doing, you wouldn't get any criticism. No one would give you a hard time. Everyone's saying, look, I totally understand. On Friday nights, we go out and get drunk, but on Saturday, we paint our faces, and then on Sunday, whatever. It's just, if you do that every single week, no one's gonna bother you. If you want to be able to operate at a high level, well, you're gonna be different. People are gonna judge you. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. All right, we're back for AMMA. That's right. Ask Michael Mogul anything. Jessica, I'm excited to have you here. I know you've got some great questions. I do, I do. So for those that are just joining the podcast, if you haven't listened to an episode before, really do three types of episodes on the podcast. We've got our traditional interview style questions with experts from the legal industry and beyond. So those typically come out on Tuesdays. We've got our encore editions. So after doing over 160 episodes of this podcast, we're recording every single week for nearly three plus years straight now. Those episodes, we bring back some of our most popular podcast guests and those typically air on Thursdays. And then now we've got our AMMA segments. So what originally started as we were going to do one, but we've gotten great feedback. People enjoy them. You guys submit your questions. You can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and we'll take some of the best questions. We'll answer them on this episode. It's all about giving people options, right? Some people might say, hey, you know what? I don't love those AMMAs. Well, you can choose which episodes you get to listen to. And if you're listening to this one, well, I guess you love the AMMAs. They're bite-sized. It could be questions about anything, whatever they'll let me talk about. I think it's what, three questions. We'll get through as many as we possibly can. Hopefully all three. Perfect. Perfect. So first question we've got today, firm is growing rapidly. And what this person is saying is they feel like the influx of calls, text, everything increases exponentially as the firm has grown. So essentially, Michael, how do I deal with it all, especially at scale? Because there's just so many streams of information coming in. Great question. So I think as a leader, as you grow as a leader, I think one of the most challenging aspects of leadership is the influx of information. And as a business organization, law firm grows, it oftentimes comes with increased complexity. So you've got more people, more points of contact, you've got more clients, which means you've got more emails, calls, texts, slacks, all these things. And and you're wondering, how do I keep up with it all? Well, this is a reality for pretty much every single leader. 
And in my case, what's been helpful to me is you've, you've got to be able to have systems and systems that allow you to kind of put yourself between you and this information. So meaning it's some sort of filter in a way. It's systems around, let's say you've got emails when you respond to emails, when you respond to texts, how calls are routed your way. Does every email have to get to you? Does every call have to get to you? Does every Slack, does everything have to be? I mean, do you need to be the one point of contact for everything? And if you don't put these systems in place, as the complexity of the organization grows, it's going to become increasingly more difficult to be that person. And what's going to happen in many cases, you're just going to work more hours, you're going to get burnt out, you're going to get exhausted, and you're going to hit a point of where your just capacity is maxed out. You're not going to be able to get to everything. I mean, if you think about it, it's like, let's say you can respond to about 100 emails a day. Well, what happens when that becomes 1,000 emails a day or 10,000 emails a day? If you can play out this thought experiment, everybody hits a point of capacity because the thing that's fixed is oftentimes your time. I mean, you only have 24 hours in a day. And if you subtract out the time that you're sleeping and eating and going to the bathroom, that's what you're left with. So there's only so much that you can do, which means that you have to introduce some sort of system and some sort of filter and also some sort of leverage. Here's how I go about it. Number one, if you want to get out of the grind, you've got to put more people between you and the grind. So does everything have to get to you? So sometimes a great way to expand capacity is to be able to hire another person or to be able to delegate certain things to other people that perhaps for them it would be a higher and better use of their time than it is yours. Also, if you're looking at, well, how do I respond to every email? This comes back to things like differentiating between the hours you spend working and the hours you spend doing with actual productivity and output. So not all tasks are created equal. And Years and years ago, I remember when I was starting Crisp, I would pride myself on finishing every day at inbox zero. And if I could just clear out every single email, you know, I felt satisfied. But you quickly learn that emails received is a, is a function of email sent. So if I respond to 100 emails, then I'm probably going to get 100 emails back as well. If I end the day on inbox zero, I come in the next day and it's like, boom, I have you know 100 more responses. And that continues to grow and scale. So it doesn't mean that that's what's in the highest and best use of the organization. The same way as if you look down a list of completing tasks, is that going to be ultimately what drives the organization forward. So what I do is every day I have a top three and these are my top three focus areas and, and priorities. And this is what has to get done before I close my eyes at night. And I always write out this list of top three items, looking at my calendar for the week ahead and the day ahead at the end of each day. So like I already have like tomorrow's list written out because this is the end of this day. And I know what my top three are going to be for the following day. So I come in and I'm ready to attack those things. And I look at those through the lens of like, what's going to move the needle forward the most. And my assistant every week, we have our top three for the week of like, what are our key focus areas? And then, like I said, these are further broken down the top three for the day. If it's not in the top three, then it's not going to be the highest priority, which means that I'm not even going to focus on those things until my top three is done. Right. And sometimes your top three is done by noon. It, wonderful. And anything else through the day is a bonus, or you can just go home early. You can do whatever you want. Sometimes it's going to take all day to focus on those things. But now you start to look at tasks more so based on priority, and you're not managing time as much so much as you're managing your focus. And that becomes the most important thing, because do you need to respond to every single email, every single text message, every single Slack? I did this experiment a few years ago when I went a month without responding to emails, and the world still turned, and the sun still came up, and everything was still fine. I thought everything would end. I thought the business would go under. It's like, well, what would happen? And it, the same thing with Slacks. It's like Slacks become the new email. You, know, you get out of email and let's say if you're listening to this, maybe use Teams, you know, it doesn't matter. But just because you move from like one platform to another platform, it's like as those communications stack up, it's being able to triage and say what is going to make the most impact and what's going to move the needle forward. And if your goal is like you're a completionist, you need to get everything responded to. It's figuring out, well, how can I respond to these things? So it's, you know, things like time blocking. Like I will only block out, say now, 
I don't even check and respond to email. My assistant shows me the most important items. We review those once today and she responds to them for me, right? But before that would happen, I would block out twice a day that I would have these two 30 minute blocks at the start of the day and at the end of the day where I would do emails, right? That way I wouldn't be checking my inbox throughout the day and constantly getting distracted. The same way if you, if you have like a task list, let's say you use like Todoist and you have tasks in there, I go through and at the end of each day, I'm looking at the tasks ahead for the upcoming day. And I say, do these fit in line with my list of priorities for that day? If they don't, I move them. Sometimes if you move the task multiple times, you know, say you move the task three, four, five times, you really should ask yourself, what happens if this never gets done? And is this really a priority for me? And oftentimes you can just go ahead and check it off because you're never going to do it anyway. Okay. And it's just not in the highest and best use of your time, but it's really starting to assign priority and importance to the things that you're doing, because as the influx of information increases, now not everything is equal. And if you treat every piece of communication, every text, every email, every Slack, every message as equally important. Well, then you're going to get overwhelmed and you're going to hit a point of capacity where you're not going to be able to get everything done. So now you start to triage things and say, what is the highest priority? You know, where does my focus really need to go? And if you lay out your focus for that day of saying, these are my top three items and what you have in front of you is not on that list. Well, then maybe it doesn't need to get done that day. You know, you could say, well, this can get done later in the day or, or, or later in the week or later in the month, or maybe not at all, or maybe not by me, maybe by another member of my team. Or maybe I need to hire somebody to be able to expand my capacity. Then you can start looking at the types of tasks that you can do. I know we do a coaching tool that really helps with this and being able to assign priority to things and being able to determine whether you need to hire or delegate or automate. But I think it really starts by understanding that you have to take control of your schedule and you have to take control over your focus and priorities. And if you focus on the things that are the most important things, like the top three items, I mean, to anyone listening to this, if you got done, your top three focus items are every single day for every single week for every single month, for every single quarter, and for every single year, you would make more progress than anything else you would possibly do. So that's it. It's money. At the end of every year, we lay out the upcoming year and I say, these are my top three initiatives for the upcoming year. And if I got just these three things done and nothing else, it would make for a great year. Now they're usually big initiatives. It's like write a book, right? It's like, you know, things like that. But those become the most important things and how I score the year of like, did I get my top three done? I do the same thing on a quarterly basis. I do the same thing on a monthly basis and saying for this month, if I got these three done and nothing else, would it really help to move the needle forward? And everything else becomes a distraction. So true. I mean, I actually remember a few months ago, your assistant and I were giving you a hard time because you had all these things that you're supposed to do one day, but you actually hired two important positions that we were looking to fill. And you were like, I did that. Nothing else matters. Like you said, you got to prioritize. Exactly. I mean, I, it, this is a perfect example. You know, this is something that happened fairly recently where, and this was a, a big focus for the month of hiring these two leadership roles. And yes, I had probably eight other things that needed to be done that day or could be done that day or should be done that day. You know, if it's like a should, you can kind of make your own decision as to whether it is really necessary or not. Whenever you tell yourself you should be doing something, it's, it's really a question of like, you can choose whether you approach the, you know, whether you do the shoulds or not. But that being said, we did hire two key executive leadership hires, which would really move the needle forward for the organization, which creates a ton of capacity, which creates a ton of leverage. And I got those two things done. Those were two of the key focus areas for the month itself. As far as I'm concerned, that day is a success. But if instead of focusing on hiring for those roles, I'm focusing on inbox zero or knocking out items on a to-do list or whatever it is, then I'm 
then I become one of these people that's continuously busy but never truly productive. I feel productive because I'm knocking out emails and I'm knocking out tasks, but then when I look back over the weeks and months and years, I wonder, why have I not made the progress that I would like? Why has my business not really grown? Why is the way in which I spend my time, why has that not changed? It's just because you're not focusing on the right things. Now, I know there's going to be somebody that listens to this podcast right now is saying, easy for you to say, or but there's things that come up that just have to be done. There's certain emergencies, there's certain fires, all these things. Well, that doesn't mean you can't make space for those things. But if you're constantly distracted and if you're finding that every day you experience an emergency or every day you have an exception or every day you have some fire you need to put out, you really need to start looking at how you're spending your time and getting to the root issue around the fact that maybe you don't have the support that you need and perhaps you need to hire some of the right people to help you because it's okay when you know when, when you have a problem that arises like let's say once a week, once a month, something that just comes along completely out of left field. But if you're dealing with that every single day, chances are that your day is running you versus the other way around. And even if something comes up, I mean, I've said this before on this podcast, anyone listening, we're not heart surgeons, okay? This is not something where it's like, okay, we got to fly in the liver, right? We got to do the transplant right now. There is pretty much nothing that you were dealing with that requires an immediate response in that moment that cannot wait a few hours so that you can remain focused on the task that you're doing. There's pretty much nothing that can't wait until the end of the day to be able to get an answer to. So if you allow yourself to continuously be distracted and you're just pulled in a million directions, that's a frantic leader. And you're never going to have clarity. You're never going to have calm. You're never going to be able to knock out the items that are the most important things because it's kind of like that quadrant around like if everything is urgent and important, in most things that people are doing is, is urgent but not important, then you're not focusing on the items that are truly important and are going to move the needle but may not be seen as urgent today but are going to be the things that ultimately create leverage and drive the business forward into the future. So that's where your time should be spent. I think that's where the most valuable and most leverageable aspect of your time could be is focusing on what do I need to be doing today to set up my future. Right. And not responding to every single thing. Correct. Awesome. All right. Next one. I personally actually have experienced this, so I am curious what your take will be on this. So I love my work. I don't actually mind the long hours. However, I've got some friends and colleagues giving me a hard time on my lack of balance. Like I said, personally experienced this one. So they said, I'm not stopping my grind, but how do I deal with their concern? How do you deal with their concern? So if I'm interpreting this correctly, the person who's asking this loves the work that they're doing, is working hard, and is dealing with people, whether it's friends, peers, whoever. Giving them a hard time. Giving them a hard time because maybe they're not available, they're not responding, or, or whatever it is. Is that right? Yes. So I've had this happen. I'll experience share. I've had this happen over the years, especially as we were growing and building Crisp. I was not available to a lot of people. We would work late hours and just you were right there with me. To build anything great sometimes requires periods of imbalance and making certain commitments and, and trade-offs that in certain periods of time, like you're just not going to get there just working a 40-hour week. That does not mean that that's forever. But if I look back and say that if we had not made those trade-offs and if we did not work hard and we did not work in a very kind of uncommon way, that we would have never made the progress that we made in the time frame that we made it in, right? So you decide basically if you're going to compress time and we all have different chapters of our lives where sometimes you're going to go full out and that's where your focus is. And then during those times, I had friends that as we were building the business that would reach out to me and they'd say, can you grab dinner? And I'd say, well, nope, I cannot grab dinner because I'm at the office. And they'd say, oh man, why you work so hard? Why are you never around? Why are you not available to us? You've changed. I'm worried about you. That type of stuff. I can say today that if somebody were to send me a message like that, I don't give a shit. I'll make this absolutely abundantly clear. You cannot concern yourself with those people. 
you've got to focus yourself on what it is that you're doing. Whenever you are doing things in a very outlier, uncommon way, people are going to have their opinions and perspectives on that. And just because they have their opinions does not mean that there is, you have to assign a value to that opinion. So I'll give you a perfect example right now on my phone. I've probably got 20 or 30 text messages from people that are asking me some sort of question. And if somebody says, oh man, why haven't you responded to me right away? Why haven't you gotten back to me? Because you don't manage my calendar and you don't manage my time and you don't manage my focus. I mean, it's actually kind of interesting. There's some similarities to the, to the preceding question in that if you allow other people to manage your time and your focus, you don't run your schedule. And that's really what email is, right? Email is like a to-do list that somebody's created for you right? The way your calendar and your time works now, you can prioritize that focus. So just because someone might have some certain perspective and they might be giving you a hard time, it's because they don't understand what it is that you're doing. And now I don't know that I would consider somebody a peer or a friend that would give me a hard time because I don't get back to them right away or because I can't do dinner with them or I can't do lunch with them. There's the saying that's like busy people understand busy people. People who are focused and diligent, some of the most successful entrepreneurs that I know, no one's giving anybody a hard time. Everybody's focused. It's like, okay, you can meet up. Great. If you can't meet up, no problem. You haven't gotten back to me, you know, my text message. Cool, man. I assume that you're busy. I'm assuming you got a lot of things going on. I mean, the, the fact that people believe that everybody is warranted an immediate response is what pulls you away from the things that you're doing day in and day out. I'll give you another example. I don't know if this is exactly related to this, but when I hear lawyers who say that I give my cell phone out to every client and I make myself available to every client, I understand where this comes from and I understand the I'm so committed to my clients and being there for them, but what happens when you're at dinner with your family? Pulling away saying, oh, excuse me, everybody, I've just got to now take this call. Is that really the best thing for your life? I mean, is that the kind of the beacon of success that you've given out your phone number to every single person and now you become available to everyone and they deserve an immediate response? I mean, is that building a great business and a great life? You can care about your clients and also set boundaries. You can care about the people around you and also have just clarity around that I'm going to prioritize my family. I'm going to prioritize my health. I'm going to prioritize my focus. And I'm going to get back to these people when I get back to these people. Now, some might see this as a luxury, but the reality of it is, is that those that are going to give you a hard time for these things either don't understand what it is that you're doing. How could they? And I wouldn't be so stuck on trying to find my way back to those people either. I'll put it this way. You can find people that understand you and are not going to give you a hard time and are going to be a pleasure to be around and are going to lift you up and provide you with energy and and just are going to be happy for you that are not going to make your journey more difficult. I mean, that's one of the reasons we even started the coaching program. It's create a community of like-minded entrepreneurial thinkers. Because if you go to your local state bar function, everybody's complaining and bitching about the way things are. And this is not fair. This, you know, you know, X, Y, Z, this person's in office and I can't, you know, lawyers shouldn't advertise. And like, why do we have to focus on things like customer service and client experience? It's just silly. It's just nonsense. You got people arguing reality. It makes sense that sometimes you have to put yourself in different environments to be able to find people who are like-minded and thinking the way you think. Look, if you were doing the same things that everybody else was, was doing, you wouldn't get any criticism. No one would give you a hard time. Everyone say, look, I totally understand. You know, on, on Friday nights, we go out and get drunk. Then on Saturday, we paint our faces. And then on Sunday, we you know just whatever. It's just, if you do that every single week, no one's going to bother you. They're going to say, okay, well, you know, on these days we drink beer. And on these days, you know, we, we just do the same thing that everybody else is doing. And we dress up as, you know, as animals or whatever it is. But if you do those things, no one's going to bother you. 
But the minute you dedicate yourself to something, the minute you say it could be anything, it could be your practice in building a greater law firm, you want to be able to invest in your team, you want to be able to improve things, you want to make sure you improve your infrastructure, your marketing, anything, and that requires more time, you're going to have to make certain trade-offs and you're going to have to pull time away from other things. That's just the reality of it. Or it could be unrelated to the practice. Maybe you decide, hey, I'm going to prioritize my health and I'm going to focus on getting in shape. Someone's going to tell you, man, oh, what, you can't eat these types of food now, right? Like you can't eat chicken wings. Like they're going to give you a hard time for that. Then let's say you decide, oh, well, you know what? I really want to get into better cardiovascular shape. I'm going to start biking and you know, cycling and running. They're going to say, oh, you're always running. You're always, always I mean, something. this is always something, right? So the minute you pull yourself away from the norm, there's going to be people who don't understand that. The majority of people that live in the middle, Okay. So if you want to be okay with them, which I think is the silliest thing you could possibly imagine, you want to be accepted by the average, well, then just don't do anything out there. Don't put yourself out there. Don't you know, become uncommon. Live a normal, you know, normal life, struggling, just like everybody else. Just do that, and then they'll accept you. And then you can look back in you know, 20, 30, 40 years when you're going to the same dive bar and saying, remember when? You know, remember when we were uh, you know, in, in high school, all the things we used to do? But you've decided you have a, a call to greatness, perhaps. You want to you know, live your life in a different way, how you spend your time, how you're with your family, how you're in your business and your practice, how you work with your team, how you serve your clients. If you want to be able to operate at a high level, well, you're going to be different. People are going to judge you. And then the higher you climb, the higher the climb, the, uh, the sharper the knives, yep. the fastest way to become unpopular is to win and succeed consistently, that's just going to come with it. You're going to have more criticism. What is Arnold Schwarzenegger says, you know, from like the bird brains, right? <laughs> There's going to be people that just don't understand. They're going to look at you like you're an alien from out of this world because they're going to try to pull you back to them. Yes. yes. They're going to they're gonna be like, you've changed. I'm worried about you. You're so different. The solution here is one, don't give them any more of your time or energy. And two, find the type of people and put yourself in the type of environment where People are pushing you. People are lifting you up. People are happy for you. You can learn a lot about people when what happens when you succeed. And if you look around and like somebody's envious of your success or the critical of your success, man, one, strike them out of here. Yeah. Just like, cause you could tell right away, this person is always going to have problems. They're always going to be critical of you. They're not going to want to see you win. In a day, there's a lot of great people out there that want to lift you up and they don't see this as a zero sum game. They see that like you succeeding just shows that success is possible and they want you to win. They're the one calling you and being like, wake up, wake up, motherfucker. Like it's time to go put your shoes on. Like it's time to go for a run. Did you run? You know, did you go? They're like an accountability partner. Let's get going. Let's get moving. They're the one that are saying, hey, what's going on? You said you were going to fire this person in your office. Why haven't you fired them yet? Right? You said that this was important to you. You said you were going to grow by this amount. You said you were going to be home for dinner with your kids. What's going on? Let's go. They're going to give you the kind of hard time that you actually want. Not the ones that are going to be saying, like, oh, you responded to my message and why can't you do dinner tonight or, you know, whatever. This, this stuff is just nonsense. All I can really think about in this is Tim Grover saying, you know, you just have to find someone as fucked up as you are. Yeah. It's, and that's why we're here. <laughs> that's, listen, that's the key. Probably the most single most important decision you can make in your life. You know, it is, really it is who, who you spend your time with. So... That's it. Don't feel bad about this. Just know that there's other people out there that will not just accept you as you are, but just quite frankly will lift you up. So don't waste your time on any of those people. And and don't let anybody dictate your schedule in that way. So, you know, you respond when you want to respond. And for me, at least, it's like, 
I'm not going to respond to you at the expense of knocking out the things that are my top three items for the day at the expense of being with our girls at the expense of anything else. It's like when I sit down, when there's time for this, when it's a priority, then we'll knock it out. But look, if you're going to give me a hard time, I'll never respond. It's not worth it. All right. Last one for today. So I think we will get through all three. The busier I get, the less patience I have. So really diving into here discipline. And is this a possible for me to get more patience? Is it a discipline thing? How do I become more patient? How do I become more patient? So for those listening, I don't know if any of you play video games, but I, I love video games. Okay. And whenever you start playing a game, let's say you're playing like an RPG, like a little like online role playing game. It could be like a fantasy game. It could be whatever. It doesn't matter. Sci-fi. Yeah, you always start in level one. You got no skills. You got no weapons, you got no gear, like you're just weak. And then by the end of the of the game, by the time you get to the end game, it's like you're leveled up and you've got all these skills and you're stronger and you're more effective. So my point here is, is that the way in which you gain those skills in games, it typically happens by experience points, right? That's how you level up. It's the same way in life. If you want to be able to develop patience, well, then you have to be able to be put in certain scenarios that allow you to test your patience. So exactly. So a perfect example of this is our oldest daughter. And I would say, you know, years ago, I'm not a very patient person. I wish I could be more patient. Well, I have an opportunity every single day now (laughs) to develop my patience. And that's how we become more patient. It's the same thing with discipline. Or someone's like, man, I wish I was as disciplined as you. Or they see people out there, like they see like Jocko or they see any of these people, like we just had Joe DeSena on the podcast from Spartan. And they say like, how could I be so disciplined to run my day in a certain way, to be able to eat certain foods, to be able to control what I put in my mouth, to be able to control when I go to sleep, to be able to, you know, all these things. And they think I'm just not that disciplined person. Well, you have to put yourself in situations where you can build that muscle and you have an opportunity to become more disciplined. It's like, if you want to be disciplined and you're not, Well, then this starts by putting certain habits in place of saying, here's where I'm not going to do right now. For example, if you want to go to bed at a certain time each each night, right? So I'd actually, in a way to flip this is like, I want to wake up earlier. Okay, well, waking up earlier is sometimes a function of when you go to bed because it's easier to wake up earlier if you go to bed earlier. So if you go to bed at midnight and you want to wake up at 5 a.m., that's going to be more difficult than if you were to go to bed at 9 p.m. and you want to wake up at 5 a.m. So maybe instead of setting a wake-up time, you also set a go to bedtime. Okay. And that's where it starts. It's like, okay, if I can like respond to this alarm of like, at this time I go to bed every night, now I can start to practice discipline. And once you gain discipline there, it's easier to have discipline in other places too. Then this stuff starts to stack. It's not, you know, it's the same way people roll out habits where it's difficult to roll out four, five, six habits at the same time, but you can always start with one. And we all are committed to our existing set of habits. So it's like, whether they're good habits or bad habits is up for debate, but we all have have habits. So examples we've used in the past, for example, could be at five o'clock every day, there's a line around the liquor store. Okay. Now those people have a habit of showing up in the liquor store at five o'clock every single day. You could say that they're very disciplined. Now there's other people that would say at five o'clock every day, I'm going to the gym. So you just have to be able to be disciplined to your existing set of habits. And sometimes it's just switching those things out. But if your goal is to become more patient, it is in finding situations that test your patience And as a result of making it through those experiences, you build the patient's muscle. The same way where, I mean, we talked about this with Joe DeSena where he does cold showers every day. I do these cold plunges. And for me, it's been something that's helped to build my discipline because look, people ask me, hey, do you enjoy jumping in a cold tub of water every single morning? First thing you wake up, it's like 40 degrees. Like, do I enjoy it? Absolutely not. I don't look forward to that any day. 
And every morning I'm looking at that thing and it's cold every morning, I promise. And some days it's like, it's freezing outside as well. And some days it's raining and, and look, no one's ever going to know, like, you know, in any given morning, I don't have any cameras there of like whether I got in or not. Right. But I look at this and say, Hey, if you can't get in this cold tub of water right now, okay, then one, it's your reputation on the line. It's your own personal credibility. It's the reputation you have with yourself. But then how are you going to be disciplined in other areas if you can't do the thing that you set out to do today, right? This morning. And you build confidence and I think you build discipline and you build patience by honoring your own promises to yourself and your commitments to yourself. If you can't honor your commitments to yourself, how can you honor them to anybody else? So if someone is asking you saying, hey, I want to be more patient, well, then you can be blessed by being put in environments that test your patience. If you want to be more disciplined, then you are going to be blessed to be in environments that allow you to become more disciplined. So it's just like honing any skill. It's like honing any muscle. And of course, it's not easy. I mean, shit, if it was easy, right? If you could bottle this up, this is the funny thing. It's like people talk about these cold plunges and sometimes people say, well, I'm not sure as to the science behind that and doesn't really work. And look, I'm not talking about the dopamine benefits and the cold shock proteins. I'm talking about the mental benefits of being able to do something that you do not want to do and doing it every day first thing in the morning, okay? It, you feel amazing afterwards. And if you could bottle that up into a pill, it would be one of the most popular selling like pharmaceutical drugs out there. That's how effective it would be. And if you could bottle up discipline into a pill, if you could bottle up patience into a pill, everybody would be buying it, okay? The point is, it's not easy. That's the reason why it's so rare. So the reality of it is, is that it gets easier over time as you strengthen this muscle, right? It's easier to be patient after you've exercised patience day after day, week after week, month after month, the same way it is with discipline. It's like, man, how are you so disciplined towards everything? Well, for years, yeah, I've been disciplined in, in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. And I don't allow myself to miss more than one day consecutively. Yes, there's things that happen. I'm not perfect. I don't know that anybody is. There's going to be things that come up. You're going to get sick. You're going to, you know, whatever. There's things that will arise. But if you get right back on it, you're honoring your own commitments to yourself. And with that, you gain the sense of just confidence and value in yourself that extends to everything else that you do. So it's not something you're born with. I don't know anybody that's born with patience or with discipline or any of those things. And in fact, the most disciplined people that I know have done some of the most challenging things. And the most patient people that I know have had to experience some of the things that have really tested their patience. The most resilient and strongest people that I know have experienced atrocities beyond anything you would ever imagine. And you would think if that's what it took to become resilient, yes, mm -hmm. that's what it takes. If you want to be resilient, what do you think? You read a book on it? on how to be resilient, it's like you have to be put in situations that beat the living hell out of you and get back up. And that's how you become resilient. And someone's like, I wish I was stronger. What somebody really should be saying is, if you want to be stronger, I wish things would happen for me that test my strength. Mm -hmm. And that's how you do it. Both literally and figuratively. Yes. It's like, it's easy. We all get this when we're in the gym. Like, let's say you want to be physically stronger. You go in the gym and you put additional stress and strain on your muscles. You tear the muscle fibers, okay, by doing a heavier and heavier weight over periods of time. Those fibers repair and your muscles become larger. You become stronger. You can lift heavier weight and then you start to add more and more weight. Okay, that's how you become physically stronger. You want to become more mentally tough, you have to deal with very, very, very challenging things, difficult things that beat you down mentally. Sometimes you're wondering, can I even keep going? And you keep going. 
Mm-hmm. And then people will then reflect on you and say, what, what a mentally tough individual. It's crazy how that works. Yep. All right. That is all we've got time for today. So that is our round of AMMA. I hope you all have enjoyed it. We'll be back. Thank you. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Download the first chapter of Michael's book at GameChangingAttorney.com. Shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, leave this podcast a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com.